This is Generation Justice, a multimedia movement that trains youth to harness the power of media. I'm Edgar Cruz. And I'm Alicia Hernandez. Tonight, we are celebrating the acts of resistance and resilience and speaking with people who are committed to positive change. First, we join David Barsamian, director of Alternative Radio, on his speaking tour, Resistance in the Age of Trump. Then, Executive Director of Progress Now New Mexico and Albuquerque City Councilor Pat Davis speaks to us about Progress Now and community engagement. We'll also hear from two water protectors, Davin Cariz and Christopher Lujan, water protectors in the No Dapl movement from here in New Mexico. We end tonight with our new segment, The Resistance Roundup, from the past week. And for a soundtrack to The Resistance, here's Sleeping Giant by Susie Q. Smith. I am a sleeping giant There lives a riot in my bones I am a mouthful of seed I am a quiet indigo dawn. Sometimes hope's the only space between your face and a heart David Barsamian is the director of Alternative Radio, an independent public radio that aims at providing information, analyses, and views that are frequently ignored or distorted in corporate media. David has been touring all around the U.S. and Canada with his lecture called Resistance in the Age of Trump, and Albuquerque was included in one of his stops. Generation Justice fellow Alicia Hernandez had the opportunity to speak with David after his talk. Let's hear how it went. This is Alicia Hernandez with Generation Justice, and I'm with director of Alternative Radio, author, and investigative reporter, David Barsamian. Welcome to Generation Justice, David. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us a little more about yourself and the work that you do. Well, I was born in New York in 1945. My parents were refugees. They came to the United States in 1921. They were uh, survivors of the genocide of the Armenians in Turkey, and I had two older brothers and a sister, and I was the baby in the family, and uh, I grew up bilingual, I grew up biculturally, so at home we spoke Armenian, we ate Armenian food, Uh, you know, we went to an Armenian church with its own traditions and language. But outside, also, I was an American kid. I was eating hot dogs, and I wanted to be a baseball player. What motivates you to keep you going in this line of work that you do? Well, I think the fight for justice is, is so invigorating that I would feel like a slacker if I you know, didn't continue to struggle. And I've been given certain advantages and opportunities. I created this radio program that's broadcast on about 200 stations, you know, all over the U.S., Canada, Australia, England, South Africa. So I've had this, you know, great opportunity. I feel very privileged to do what I'm doing and to be able to reach people. Uh, I give a lot of public talks all over the U.S. and around the world. I was recently in Lebanon, Turkey, uh, Iran, you know, giving talks. And I would be remiss not to do this kind of work, given the advantages I have. Thank you. Now tell us a little bit more about your tour with Resistance in the Trump Age. Well, Donald Trump 
represents to me a, a very a dangerous moment in U.S. history. The kind of tendencies which have always been there in U.S. culture, the racism, the misogyny, the, you know, the hostility, the homophobia, the Islamophobia, these are not new things. But Trump is enabling those things to come to, not only to come to the surface, but to be celebrated and to be empowered. Uh, that, to me, represents uh, a real step backwards. So if we care about justice, if we care about equality, gender equality, uh, racial equality, economic equality, the, the economic inequality in the United States uh, is producing you know, very, very um, destroyed lives. People who can, cannot manage to keep their families together, uh, become indebted, then have to pay uh, usurious rates of uh, interest to pay off debts. Those kinds of things strike me as very important to resist and to provide an alternative model where justice is in the foreground and injustice is in the background. And that takes struggle. Uh, often I quote Frederick Douglass, one of the great uh, African-American uh, orators and freedom fighters. That He says, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never has and it never will. So if we think Trump and people like him, Stephen Bannon, Jared Kirshner, the people he's surrounded with, Michael Flynn, that they're going to wake up one day and say, hey, you know what? Racism is bad. We have to do something about it. Or imperialism is bad. U.S. aggression is bad. Lying is bad. It's not going to happen. It's only going to happen when people in the street rock the Kasbah, rock the White House to such an extent that they can't ignore it. That's our job. One thing that stuck out to me in your speech tonight was that it's time to take action. And hearing you speak, um, whether it be out in the front lines of protest or just simply acting in your community, being there for one another, I'm very happy that you can spread out this message to our community here in Albuquerque. What are some other voices that young people like myself should be listening to right now at this time? You would have the best answer to that. The, the, the great poets that are out there, the great organizers, um, there's a whole generation of people who have... Uh, mastered the internet, who have mastered a lot of the digital technology way beyond me, and who are able to create documentary films, uh, radio programs, uh, TV, all kinds of media intervention. We need more intervention, and young people need to be in the forefront of that uh, intervention with their creative juices flowing. Because particularly when you're in a younger period, uh, it's a time when you're not yet saddled with a lot of, of life's obstacles, let's say, mortgages and family and children. I'm not saying these are bad things, but uh, it changes the equation. So when you're young, you have an opportunity, more opportunity to be active and to do creative things. Absolutely. What does it mean for journalism right now in a time of fake news and alternative facts? Journalism is under assault. Um, the Trump administration is trying to create a separate narrative that is divorced from facts, an alternative reality, uh, as it were. So two and two is five, according to them. Gee, I thought it was four, but I guess I'm wrong because they said it's five. That kind of uh, twisting uh, 
of uh, history, the past, manufacturing consent, um, you know, creating propaganda that exaggerates threats so that people become very fearful. You know, there's a, the United States is an extremely violent country. I, I don't know of a country more violent internally and externally. Uh, internally, since September 11th, 2001, after the attacks in Washington and New York, over 400,000 Americans have been killed in gun violence in this country, many of them children, many of them toddlers, you know, just playing with daddy's gun, oh, let me see, and, you know, inadvertently pull the trigger. And there's just been a handful of victims from what is called uh, terrorism. There's no analysis, there's no connection of why terrorism exists. Do these people just wake up in, in the morning in Tunisia and just say, hey, I'm going to go to America, I'm going to go somewhere, I'm going to kill Americans, or I'm going to kill French people. It's not that simple. There are complicated and complex reasons why people turn to violence. Usually it's tremendous frustration and the presence of injustice that make people feel desperate. And we have to make a connection between U.S. foreign policy and how aggressive it is, how intervention it is, how, how militarized it is. I want our country, if I can use that collective pronoun, I want our country to be a humanitarian superpower. I want to help people in need, uh, refugees, people seeking asylum, people who are ill and need medical treatment, people who are hungry and need to be fed. That's the kind of superpower we need to be, not a superpower of, you know, of aircraft carriers and F-35s and Zumwalt-class destroyers and all these super weapons that cost, cost billions and billions of uh, dollars. One thing that I admire the most about you is your bravery and willingness to go upon and create independent media to where you can voice exactly what is going on in this world in your narrative and a narrative that um, is aimed towards justice. So what would you say to journalists or what advice would you give to them right now in the Trump era? To be fearless and to take chances, to take risks, because unless you do, you'll never know. So when I started alternative radio in the mid-1980s, I am entirely self-taught. I have no journalistic training. Uh, I learned how to do editing and narration and develop my interviewing skills all live on the radio. Uh, and, it, and I got better and better at doing it. So, and I was, I was, people were discouraging me. I, I remember my brother saying he thought I was kind of crazy. Why are you bother doing this? Because no, he was always asking me, you know, how are you going to support yourself? I said, well, people will buy cassettes of the programs. He says, why would anyone buy a cassette of a program they just heard on the radio for free? You know, you're wasting your time. You know, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree here. Get real. But in fact, that's what happened. People did start buying the cassettes and now CDs and now downloads, MP3s. Uh, and that's how I support my operation. But if I had listened to the naysayers saying, well, you know, don't bother. There's no use. It's too much trouble. You'll never make it. It never would have happened. So you have to, you have to take chances and take risks. And, and the reward can be very, very fruitful and very satisfying. And I, I, you know, I feel really lucky. I've been doing this now for 31 years nationally and internationally. What are your thoughts about the threat to the CPB funding? It's very likely it's going to come under attack 
from the Trump administration, as are other public programs, the National Endowment for the Arts, which is where the Corporation for Public Broadcasting gets its funding for. They don't like public radio very much because it, it, it represents a space that could be critical. I'm not saying it's always critical, but that is relatively independent and is certainly superior to commercial radio. I mean, if you've ever heard commercial news, it's laughable. You know, it's about traffic accidents on Central Avenue and a fire in Gallup and, you know, some crime in some other part of, you know, Boulder, something like that. So NPR and PBS represent kinds of islands of independence. I won't exaggerate it and say that they're great and doing a terrific job because they're not, but they certainly have the potential to be uh, independent. And if you know how to listen, if you know what you're looking for, you can extract nuggets of useful information. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I think in a dangerous time, and we are in a dangerous time, people need to stand up. And in standing up, there's dignity and self-respect. And if you're on your knees, you know, begging the master for some favor or f for some kindness, you are in a, an extremely compromised and vulnerable situation. So it's better to be vertical and have that dignity and self-respect and fight for justice than to be horizontal and supine. Obsequious is not the answer. Courage is the answer. Sycophancy is not the answer. Courage is the answer. Becoming engaged, taking responsibility for your community, for your region, for your country, for your world. This is our planet. Our planet is under environmental assault by corporations who think nothing of destroying nature if it enhances their bottom line. That's in the DNA of the capitalist economic system. Profits over people. We have to reverse that. It has to be people's concerns are more important and the planet is more important than the bottom line of a handful of corporations. David, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me tonight. I admire your bravery. I admire every ounce of inspiration you give to everybody you speak to. Thank you so much. This has been Alicia Hernandez for Generation Justice. Thank you, David, for your work as an independent media maker. I had mentioned in our interview that I really do admire your bravery to stand up for justice in media. Media outlets like Alternative Radio are inspirations for better change to come. Thank you for leading this movement, David. Thank you, David, so much. Now, here is In Time by The Black Keys. And remember, you can catch all the music we play by heading to KUNM.org and clicking on the Music tab. Recently, President Trump advanced the construction of the Keystone XL and the Dakota Access Pipeline by signing a presidential memorandum.
In December, after months of resistance from water protectors, the Army Corps of Engineers denied the easement to continue the pipeline, which would run next to Standing Rock Sioux Reservation lands. Wednesday, February 8th, was a nationwide day of resistance against the two pipelines, and GJ caught up with the water protectors outside of the Corps of Engineers office in Albuquerque. Here's how it went. Um, I'm Legion. I'm from uh, Kiwa, Okeowinge, and Picaris Pueblos. That's uh, San Juan, Santa Domingo, and Picaris Pueblos. The 20th is the day that they, they're trying to get everybody out. But the Army Corps of Engineers, that's why we're out here, they're not listening to their own word. You know what I mean? They said that's when they're going to come in, but they're they're early now. We see them all the time, BIA and at the gate. So this is our response to that. You know what I mean? This is what we got to do uh, in order to let them know how we feel. You know what I mean? Because that's not fair. You know what I mean? Even if we try to play by the rules and they make they break their own, uh, but it's it's unsafe for our people out there, for our warriors. So we had to do what we can. But yeah, man, the, the Standing Rock people, they want us there. So like I was saying earlier, like how a lot of people would say that Trump doesn't represent them and their values or them as the people is the same way that the Standing Rock people feel about what they call, or who they call, like Bishop was saying, uh, Dapple Dave. Uh, yeah, the people want us there. You know what I mean, the people like here, the people, the real community, they're out here. We're still rep waiting for a representative, you know what I mean, from, from the higher up here at the uh, Army Corps of Engineers, you know what I mean? But like out there, just like here, they didn't want a pipeline on their land, you know what I mean? We don't want a pipeline on our land. And, uh, like I said, these cops, they have the, the the power to be on our side, you know what I mean, to help us out. Uh, if you, whoever you are, people like who don't have money to send or can't go up to camp, what can they do? A share goes a long way, you know what I mean, keep people informed. So yeah, hashtag no dapples, the movement for up there in Standing Rock. Uh, protect the sacred is ours at Pueblo Camp or even hashtag Pueblo Camp. Uh, you know what I mean, just and protect the sacred, that's our motto. And uh, save Chaco, that's where we're headed next. So glad you guys can be out there and come out there to camp see what it's like you know what i mean a lot of people don't know what it's like living that life but it's, it's nice man living with non-natives people from other countries other uh, um other lands you know what i mean all respecting each other's ways the way we want to live you know what i mean everybody has that idea in their head already you felt it at camp you know what i mean we just want to spread it with the rest of the world it'll start with the rest of the nation here thank you for sharing your story legion now will join another water protector, Christopher Lujan, to hear why he protests the pipeline and how he contributes to the No Dapple movement. My name is Christopher Lujan. I'm from Taos Pueblo, Willow People. And um, I have a little small group of uh, called Water Protectors, Pueblo Water Protectors. The latest update, as you know, is that the Army Corps of Engineers um, are, are going to proceed with lifting up the the assessment that was assigned over there but um, you know that's why we're here to protest that to to stand our ground that uh, you know we want the assessment to go we want the assessment to happen you know they're waving the 14-day grace period that they're they're trying to do and you know this is uh, President Trump's actions you know directions and they're following it they're they're doing away with the assessment assessment and they don't care about uh, the pollution of water and they're going to continue with the pipeline and right now up at Standing Rock you know there's a lot of uh, emotions that are going you know there's a lot of cleanup process that's happening right now because they're they are being forced to move out from camp and a, a lot of uh, you know water protectors want to stay there um, stay there and uh, you know make it known that you know. They, they don't want to move. They don't want to move. They want to protect the water. So um, I don't know what else is going to happen, you know, up there. Now that the, um, the easement has been lifted, 
So we want to voice our concerns about it that we want the easement done. You know, the Dakota Eclipse Pipeline and the uh, Keystone XL, you know, President Trump has, you know, is in favor and he has investment in probably maybe both of, of the pipelines. But, you know, we, we just need to stop him and, and you know, all, all big pipelines need to stop because we, we, we work for our little kids. That's who this is, movement is for as well. You know, these little kids that are, are here, you know, they don't have a voice. And what are we going to do? You know, if the injustice of, of uh, our, our government and uh, is continue to happen, what what are they going to live in? What kind of uh, government are they going to have when they when they grow up? We we can have a lot of uh, uh, voices and stand up. You know, we're not one anymore. We're uniting, unity. That's where we're at now. Thank you both, Legion and Christopher, for stressing that any involvement, even the smallest of contributions, can go a long way when it comes to resisting DAPL. That's so important to keep in mind for those who want to contribute in any way they can. You can follow the Indigenous Environmental Network to keep up with the news and upcoming actions. And now, in honor of this movement in history, here's a new song, Treaties, by Indigenous hip-hop artist and activist Frick Juan of the Re Rosebud Sioux Tribe. begins before there was a United States because it was nation to nation amongst the native nations and the European nations. The story is told with lies, lies, lies. Jesus. The treaty signs. The founding of this country, the U.S. government has made and broken over 500 treaties with various Indian tribes all across our nation. Pat Davis is the Albuquerque City Councilor for District 6 and the Executive Director of Progressive Now New Mexico. To learn more about Progress Now New Mexico, we are joined by GJ Fellow Matthew Brown and Pat Davis. This is Matthew Brown with Generation Justice, and I'm here with Pat Davis, the Executive Director of Progress Now New Mexico, and also a member of the Albuquerque City Council representing District 6. Um, Pat, it's a pleasure to have you with us in the studio today. Thank you, Matthew. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here again. Um, and to start off, would you just please introduce yourself? Yeah. So as you said, I'm Pat Davis. Uh, I have the pleasure of running one of New Mexico's largest public advocacy groups for progressive causes and candidates. Uh, I also, like you mentioned, get to be the city councilor here in Albuquerque, representing UNM, Knob Hill, the International District. Uh, so we're pretty busy. Um, and as you mentioned, and as I know we're going to get into today, suddenly all the things we've been doing in silos and little places seem to be right. all coming together really fast at us. So I'm actually really excited to talk about sort of where all this is going and what's happening. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, Progress Now New Mexico for those of our listeners who might not be familiar with it? Sure. Uh, Progress Now New Mexico, we started in 2011 and uh, it was a small little scrappy startup. Mm -hmm. uh, a friend and I started it. We borrowed somebody's closet in their office and uh, we realized at the time with Susana Martinez had just been elected, there was a Tea Party movement that was taking over in cities and in the state legislature. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we recognized that newsrooms around the state were cutting back. The Journal lost their, their sort of senior political reporter. News stations were laying off news reporters. And so we realized that in order to get our message out from the progressive community and challenge some of these crazy ideas from conservatives, mm -hmm. we needed a new vessel. Um, so we started sort of as a resistance operation of okay. fact-checking the, the sort of Tea Party narrative that was coming uh, into New Mexico. 
and that grew um, to we've grown over the years from that closet to now we have a staff of uh, five organizers in different offices around the state. Uh, we started a nonprofit newspaper uh, to help do the research and investigative reporting now at the New Mexico Political Report. And I'm really proud that we have about 100,000 email subscribers around the state. And they've helped other nonprofit organizations build their own capacity uh, to do rapid response and organizing. Uh, and so it's a pretty exciting time to be sort of at the hub of the progressive movement in New Mexico. Um, and so kind of going off of that, um, you know, progress now exists on a national level. Um, what sort of work is kind of being done across the board? Well, I'll say one of the things about the Progress Now Network that's a little unique is we're more of a confederacy than sort of a federalist system. <laughs> okay. um, unlike things like the Red Cross or some other organizations, we New Me- Progress Now New Mexico is 100% state-based. Our staff right. works here. Our board is here. We do our fundraising here. But we choose to affiliate with organizations like ourselves and other states that are fighting the movement. There are about two dozen states around the country that are doing that work. Um, some of us in the West are working on public lands a lot and water issues. Uh, and those of us in Texas and Arizona and New Mexico are working on organizing and registering to vote people of color. What would you say your vision for a progressive movement in our country would look like? I think we're really close, actually. Despite the national election, we know that three million more people didn't vote for the president. Right. I, I think what we're seeing is people are, for a long time, Democrats, for instance, to look at politics – uh, were very much about job creation and about pocketbook issues. We were the socially progressive sort of movement, but we didn't put that necessarily out front. Um, and there were a lot of corporate Democrats and business Democrats who were trying to play both sides. And that opened the door for a lot of court mismanagement. Mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing now is a return to what the Tea Party wanted to be, which was taking government from Washington back to the people. But what they really meant was they were just trying to get government out of regulation and business sector took over. What we're seeing the new progressive movement talk about is actually helping focus on – starts at working people. It's not Mm -hmm. from corporations. Uh, It's talking about people's individual choice for health care, individual choice for medicine like marijuana and Mm -hmm. just plain medical marijuana policy and and marijuana policy everywhere. Criminal justice issues, not from a – big macro, how many people can we put in prison standpoint, but actually what does it mean to a family when we put a young man of color into the system at 16 years old? The progressive movement is really sort of organizing like these little families together to recognize some of their common uh, common fights. And just in the, again, like just since the election, I think a lot of those folks have really awakened and realized that their fights are the same. Uh, So we've always said like democratic and progressive politics has always been about kind of like herding cats. Uh, We're all trying to go in a different direction. We all look a little different color and we all like something a little different at the end of the day. But right now, there's we're trying to fight off a really big dog. And so we're all sort of banding (laughs) together and seeing that we can can work together really well. Um, And I've never seen that. I've been doing this a while. I haven't seen folks working together like this um, in a really long time. What do you think your take is on the current shift that our country is experiencing, um, not only on a political level, but also on an ideological level? What what we see, the change that's happening in our country, I think, is more uh, a a factor of generational change and age than it is about ideology. You know, we see folks, you know, I'm almost 40 years old, so I'm sort of sitting in the middle, but we see folks that are my age and our age and younger um, just don't care about who you sleep with or your sexual orientation mm-hmm. um, or things like marijuana, and they believe in equal opportunity and mm-hmm. those types of things. And it's not that those other people older than us don't. They just didn't, weren't raised with the challenge to have those conversations and weren't exposed to people who uh, felt free to live those those values you know, out in public and not in a different place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
as the older generations are sort of giving way and we're seeing young folks like me, I'm a city councilor at 40, almost 40, um, are starting to take leadership roles and we're building leadership roles and political power in these movements, we're really influencing them to look more like us. And we see this, right? It happened in the 60s. Mm-hmm. It happened in the 60s and early 70s around all this that, that centered on Watergate and Richard Nixon in mm-hmm. Vietnam, um, where there was a big generational clash. And out of that, those activists became our parents and grandparents of the 70s and 80s. Um, and we're going through another one of those right now. So when folks talk about in, in politics, when we try to run campaigns, we often spend a whole lot of time and money trying to influence that one or two percent in the middle who are in what we call influencers and might go my way, might go your way. Um, but we've neglected for a really long time just to invest in the people we take for granted that we think will always show up and vote our way. Absolutely. And what we've seen in the last couple of elections is if we don't tell them why this matters, just saying go vote for a Democrat doesn't work because our partisan politics are broken. Okay. And that's different, and that's a different focus in the way we're doing our work. Um, and with respect to leadership and also um, political participation, mm-hmm. how would you define activism, and also how would you define complacency, and what is their relationship uh, to each other in regards to politics? Oh, wow. What a great question, right? It's, it's sort of cliche to say that we all have an obligation as a citizen to at least go vote, and it wouldn't hurt us every once in a while to pick up the phone and call your city councilor Correct. and tell them what you want to happen in your town. Uh, but it's easy to be complacent nowadays because we have so many, so much incoming, right? Despite the fact that we all get our news from one source or the other right. um, and don't often see the other side, we also are bombarded now with all these fights coming at us. Right. There's the the new fight for to protect the, the LGBT marriage movement turned into a fight for trans rights. Mm-hmm. The Again, things like criminal justice reform are coming at us for now marijuana reform, drug policy, uh, that type of work, sometimes it's hard to figure out where you can have a real impact. From a from an elected side, mm-hmm. you know, as an elected person, we have city council meetings. They're broadcast on TV. A lot, of, a handful of people watch them every week. But we have the same cast of characters most weeks who come down to give right. us comment. Right. Um, we have two hundred seats in that that city council chamber, and it's rare if we have more than twenty filled with right. public members of the thing. That's it. Since Donald Trump got elected and this movement started. We've seen two and three hours of public comment on things like zoning to be sure that we're including people of color in the conversation to talk about what is our immigrant-friendly city status going Mm -hmm. to be in Albuquerque. That's the difference really in activism and complacency to say that, hey, my city's doing okay. We have a minimum wage that I like. We're immigrant-friendly. I'm going to let that be. Right. But if we, and it's not just at the city, it's at the state level. If we as citizens don't reach out and remind our elected officials that we appreciate the progress we have, their priorities are going to move and somebody's going to sweep in behind us and try to undermine that and take us backwards. And that's really what we're seeing happening in Washington right now is for too long, we got complacent. We assumed that we had health care. We assumed that immigrant rights were protected well or were okay and weren't going to get much better. And the other side swept in behind us and started undermining that. And we didn't see it coming. So our complacency really is about being sure that before we take on the next fight that we've we, we show a relationship between the one we just won and how we transfer those people to the next one and why our values sort of intersect with each other. That's been a real challenge in the progressive community, whether you're working on gay rights or whether you're working on public lands issues mm-hmm. or whether you're working on education. What would you say your barometer is for measuring uh, activism? Because there's so many different capacities. Um, is it kind of a mutually exclusive thing or do you feel like it can kind of exist on a spectrum? No, it totally can exist on a spectrum. Okay. Look, we all have Lives are harder to live right now. It's mm-hmm. not as easy to make a living unless you have a billion dollars. Uh, 
we we have lives to live. Our kids have to go to school. We have, you have to go to school. We all have things that happen. But I'll tell you what we found is the people that, again, from Progress Now, which is a big organization, um, what we found is when we ask people for money, mostly online because we're mm-hmm. digital mostly, the folks who give 2 $3 are so much more engaged with the, the issue because that's what they can afford to give. Mm-hmm. And so we try to really reach out to those people and say thank you, and I'll guarantee you every time they ask, where can I go to do the next thing? What I find is the people who have the least are doing the most, and study after study tells us that uh, nonprofit donations most regularly come from people who have the least amount of money because they've benefited from that work. Uh, that's really the most important impact, you know, is the, the quality of that interaction, and that's what we're trying to build. Thank you. I really appreciate that answer. Um, I think just to be aware that some involvement is is still a part of that resistance, um, I think that's really important. Um, so just to kind of bring things to a little bit of a larger perspective, Washington is so far away, and sometimes it feels like what happens over there is just in another universe. Um, but I wanted to ask you, um, in what ways can the new administration and their cabinet influence uh, legislation that happens here in New Mexico? Well, a lot. Um, you know, New Mexico is dependent a lot on the federal government. And let me give you one quick example that folks will, will in a very urgent sense, understand. The Albuquerque Police Department is under a Department of Justice mm-hmm. reform for the way we have in the past dealt with uses of force and persons with behavioral health issues, persons of color in some cases and others. But the new attorney general, Jeff Sessions, has said very publicly and in writing that he thinks that those consent decrees uh, are improper use of the Department of Justice's time, and he would like to roll back or repeal some of those. Mm -hmm. If he comes in and takes those tools away from us in the city of Albuquerque, those of us who are counting those reforms will have APD right back to where we were. And those of us who need to call 911 want to be sure that when a cop comes, that they're professional, we get the quality service, and that if you have someone in your family in a mental crisis, um, that you're going to get the right help. Absolutely. We are so close to being there. But if they roll that back, we're going to take all those steps backwards. That's a very real thing that can happen here in Albuquerque with literally with a stroke of a pen from a person that Donald Trump appointed. And that's the very real, very scary prospect of what can happen for us. Um, we, we've made so much progress in the last eight years. It's amazing how quickly it can roll back if we don't get organized. Um, how can people who are interested um, get involved with Progress Now New Mexico? First and foremost, um, do the old-fashioned thing. Go on the website, right. uh, progressnownm.org. Uh, we've got, uh, we're seeing more than 100,000 website views uh, to our site since mm-hmm. the election every month. Um, so people are coming and finding issues they want to sign up for. Uh, so we encourage you to do that first and foremost. Again, mm-hmm. our community events calendar tells you uh, where almost every day now there's something happening mm-hmm. in New Mexico that we have an organizer or some allied organization is doing some groundwork. Uh, but it really does start to sign up, mm-hmm. join an email list. I know we all have too many of them. Right. Find somebody on Facebook um, and give them a test right now. Test out us or those other organizations that you really like. See how uh, you can connect with them. Um, and you'd be surprised the old-fashioned way. Pick up the phone and call an organization, call us, um, and say, I'm interested in this. How can I get involved? Um, anything that you would want to tell our listeners or leave us with? Uh, bottom line, if you don't hear anything else out of this, you know the way I know this movement is real um, Earlier this week, all across the the state, the very first election test after Donald Trump was local school board elections, where usually 3% of voters showed up. In the 10 days before, during early voting, we started to see double the number of people that were showing up. By the time the polls closed earlier this week, uh, record voter turnout had doubled voter turnout in school board elections. For 
And it wasn't just that they split their vote between Democrats or Republicans or whoever's on the ballot. Overwhelmingly, voters were turning out for the candidates endorsed by the teachers unions, Progress Now, Equality New Mexico, SWAP, progressive organizations. This is something that uh, the very first test in the country of post-Trump election test, Absolutely. New Mexico passed, and progressives swept school board elections around the state in communities where we haven't won elections in a really long time, like Gadsden and Gallup and Los Alamos. So there is a movement here, and there's power in it, and our power ultimately is at the ballot box. And I'll tell you, just since that election, those results got the attention of a lot of elected people Absolutely. who are now looking at the mayor's race in Albuquerque and city council races, um, even next year, Congress and others that are coming up saying, oh, wow, what do we do to plug into that? And how do I get those folks on my team? That's a really cool place to be. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit and speak with us today. Um, it has been a pleasure, and uh, I just wanted to voice my appreciation. Thank you. The work you all are doing, the resistance roundups, the information you'll give for DJ is great. So thanks for doing the work you do. With Generation Justice, this is Matthew Brown. Thank you, Pat, for being an example of how we as a community can react to all the drastic political changes going on in our country simply by getting involved, organizing, and engaging in our civic duties. Your involvement in our community is very much appreciated. Thank you again, Pat, for representing Progress Now and our community so well. With all that is happening under the new administration, it is important to stay aware and vigilant. And here at GJ, we like to find every way to feel empowered. We know resistance works. So we bring you our newest segment, the Resistance Roundup, a look at the acts for the past week by people near and far in small and large ways that make a difference. This week's Roundup is courtesy of Kaz Kezu Hega and Roberta Rael. And it's going to go by fast because so much has happened. Here we go with Edgar Cruz and Christina Rodriguez. It's week three of the resistance. Several Super Bowl ads criticized the administration and the GOP, including 84 Lumber, Aero Mexico, Airbnb, Coca-Cola, Google, and even Budweiser. Thousands continued to rally against the Muslim ban, including in D.C., San Francisco, West Palm Beach, and here in Albuquerque. And the Ninth Circuit Court refuses to reinstate the Muslim ban. And the president's Muslim ban has caused him to be sued by four different states on behalf of 42 million people. The city of Seattle d divests its $3 billion fund from Wells Fargo and moves it to a bank that does not support DAPL or private prisons. UK Parliament Speaker announces that Trump will not be speaking at the Parliament during the visit. Betsy DeVos was physically blocked from entering school by protesters, many of whom were parents. In solidarity with Senator Elizabeth Warren, multiple senators continue to read Coretta Scott King's letter after Warren was silenced from reading that letter. A new anthem to the resistance is coined, hashtag we persist after Senator McConnell silenced Senator Warren. A 15-hour resistance fighting the deportation of Guadalupe Garcia Rios, which was not in vain. Acting Attorney General Sally Yates refuses to defend Trump, orders, gets fired, then nominated for the JFK Courage Award. Six players from the New England Patriots refuse to go to the White House to meet with Trump. Swedish Deputy Prime Minister Isabella Lavin mocks Trump with a spoof picture of her signing climate change legislation. Alameda County, California voted to match a $750,000 grant for a total of $1.5 million for a deportation defense network. China made Trump concede the One China policy. Congressman Jason Chaffetz had a thousand constituents yelling at him in Utah. Even Trump's Supreme Court nominee criticized him. 
Nordstrom's stocks rose after dumping Ivanka's brand. Marshalls and TJ Maxx also said goodbye to Ivanka's brand. Trump's national security advisor, Michael Flynn, is incriminated by journalists for his communications for Rus- with Russia. ICE is the subject of a freeway blockade in L.A. There were demonstrations nationally against the construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline. And Army veterans returned to Standing Rock to form a human shield against state-directed violence. And for more stories of hope, you can check out the hashtag, Nevertheless, We Persisted. That's our roundup for this week. Thank you to all the individuals, organizations, and groups who have not given up. We haven't either, and we will keep sharing what's working. For more information on acts of resistance, you can visit freepress.net and follow their 100 Days of Disruption campaign. And now, here's our next song, Wildfire by Subtract. We've come to the end of another great show. We'd like to thank our guest, David Barsamian, City Councilor Pat Davis, Devine Quarries, and Christopher Lujan. Production assistance came from Kateri Zuni, Alicia Hernandez, Christina Rodriguez, Matthew Brown, and Roberta Rail. And thank you to our engineer, Camaria Umi. Stay connected with us. Check out our website, generationjustice.org, where you can listen to all of our past radio programs, see music playlists, read our blogs, watch videos, and so much more. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, so be sure to subscribe and rate us. We're also active on social media. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, Gonama Health Foundation, the Albuquerque Community Foundation, and, of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. I'm Alicia Hernandez. And I'm Edgar Cruz. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Thank you for listening and have a great night. Say I told you so